Hello and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. We are going to have such a fun podcast. I was about to take the loudest and most obnoxious victory lap to open the show about UConn's newest commit, Ali Zabel. And that got ruined this morning when we all got an email that AZ FUD is going to be out for three to six weeks with a right knee injury suffered when Aaliyah Edwards fell, was pushed. That was a very contentious point on Twitter on Sunday was not saying that Aaliyah Edwards got pushed into AZ when I don't really think it particularly mattered how it happens, but out three to six weeks with the injury. What else is there to say at this point? Yeah, this team just can't catch a break, and I very much look forward to when we don't have to spend half of this podcast talking about injuries. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it sucks. I guess the bright side is it could be worse. <laughs> like, <laughs> Right. If you look at, I mean, two straight games against Notre Dame, you lose a superstar with two of the injury in both of them. Uh I think if we're talking about where this curse has come from for Yukon's <laughs> injuries, a lot of people want to say that it's the Candace Parker curse, where ever since Gino left Candace Parker off the Olympic team, they haven't won a national championship. But I think we've got some pretty convincing evidence that it is a Notre Dame curse. Maybe <laughs> DL Ivy cursed him. Like I don't know exactly where this curse has come up, but two games in a row two knee injuries to the two best players on the team. That's a little more than mildly suspicious, even though both things were freak injuries. Let's, let's ignore that part. That's not as fun for the narrative. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Definitely both freak inter- uh, injuries, but yeah, a little like too coincidental that it has happened in the same game, basically the same date, two years in a row. <laughs> I, I actually meant got away from my point. My point was last year, Paige Becker's like exact same weekend. She didn't come back until February 25th, the second to last game of the regular season on the eve of March, pretty much. She was never fully, not fully healthy. I don't know if that's the right word, but she, she never knocked the rust off the rest of the season. AZ FUD three weeks puts her at missing four games or so six weeks puts her at missing 10 games but in the time frame that they gave and I think it's a little tricky because UConn didn't specify what the injury was just said that it was a right knee injury we can't look up online that okay it's a sprained MCL it's a sprained ACL that's what the typical recovery timeline is And, oh, this person who's a doctor says that as long as you stay off it, that's a pretty accurate timeline. We don't really have any of that idea. But if she's back, even in the worst case scenario where it's like seven weeks, that still puts you mid to late January. You'll still have an entire month to work up before the postseason even begins. I think that's the positive is that it's much less time off compared to Paige Becker's last year, and she gets back much sooner, again, assuming all goes well, compared to Paige Becker's. So I think we're going to see a lot of comparisons between the two because of obviously Notre Dame, because of the injury, because of the implications that both players' injury brings. That's where I have a little more optimism because of how much shorter the timeline is and how much more of a runway she's going to have. 
Yeah, exactly. The timeline gives them a lot of time, even like you said, worst case scenario of what the window that's been given so far, at least. She's still back in plenty of time to shake off all the rust, to play not just in some conference games, but in some big non-conference games that UConn has late in the season, and then really be able to kind of spend some time on the court before they get to March, which I think is the most important is that she's kind of fully back at, you know, full conditioning, things like that when they get to March. I feel like last year I said probably this exact same thing where, all right, we've gotten to a point where the regular season no longer matters. You just (laughs) are now looking ahead and saying, all right, are they going to be good to go for March? And I kind of feel like we're in the same boat this year. Again, there's more lead up time, but once AZ gets back, all we're going to be talking about is, okay, how's she progressing for March? These regular season games aren't going to matter as much. Obviously it would be great if UConn was fully healthy to play South Carolina, because that would be a huge game. That would be really a really good measuring stick of a fully healthy UConn team. But if AZ's not, out there yet for some reason or if she's not a hundred percent or even if she's not back fully mentally where she doesn't have the confidence in her knee then how much are we really going to be able to take from that game so it kind of feels like again we're in the first week of december and the regular season already doesn't really matter anymore yep exactly we're all just looking to january when she's back and then really like much later when she's kind of fully back it's a little bit ridiculous but here we are i would love to just one season can we get through one season at this point (laughs) where there's just not chaos that reigns the entire time i mean injuries this year and last year covid the year before whatever was going on with that (laughs) team the year before covid because the vibes weren't good one way or another yeah (laughs) i you 2018 19 that team was at least normal Mm mm-hmm So it's been a while. And I will say one of the big things that I think this injury signifies is that they're, they're really just cursed at this point. I don't think you can argue that I've never been on board that, Oh, it's the athletic trainers. Like it's clearly them. That's the problem. Like overuse injuries, this and that I've never really been on board with that. But when you're talking about, AZ has a teammate fall into her and her tourney. There's nothing that's going to stop that. Dorka breaks her thumb. What's going to stop that? Aaliyah breaks her nose. Like, these are still freak things that are happening that no amount of injury prevention is going to prevent that no one can do anything about. When it's just freak thing on a freak thing that pile up, I don't know what else they can do about it besides... Again, the reference that you won't understand that I made a few weeks ago is have a Ted Lasso style uh, spirit cleanse of worth or the training room or gamble. I don't know where you got to do it, but like you got to do it somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't know. They need something clearly because this is ridiculous. I mean, it's beyond ridiculous. Like how much more can this team have to go through? It just doesn't stop. Every single time we think we're through it. Like, we didn't even know Dorka broke her thumb in that game. I think some people noticed that she seemed to maybe be favoring it a little, but break your thumb, miss five, at least five games. I mean, it just, 
every time it seems like you're getting past it, it's another thing. And it, they're never going to be fully clear of it this year because you still have Paige Beckers and Ice Brady on the sideline for the entire right. year. So now we have to start looking at 2023 of, okay, that's our first chance to see UConn fully healthy. And even though we threw away that in August, we still haven't even gotten to do that this year because now AZ is going to be out for however many games. Yeah, exactly. Even though, like, they're never going to be at full health this season, obviously, with Paige and Ice, but, like, you're not even getting full health of what will be available because, but we literally got one game of that because Dorka broke her thumb in the second game. And then now easy. So yeah, they've had, and Caroline was out at the start. So they, they have yet to play a game with everyone that's actually supposed to play this season being healthy. Not one. Not one. But, not a single game. Not even the so, exhibition. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so essentially a, a half or so, because I'm pretty sure it was some point in the first half. So like there was a very short span of time where everyone was at least available. Yeah. And then Dorcas thumb got shattered. Obviously that wasn't what it was, but just to be dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> exactly yep so with that time to look ahead to what these next three to six weeks are going to look like and i think the first name there's two key players in this and one is lou lopez seneschal there's a certain irony that she at Fairfield was the go-to player, had the entire offense on her. Everything was drawn up for her. And I remember Gino saying when she arrived that he was talking with her about how much pressure that was. And she was saying that she's really excited to be somewhere where she's got a lot more options and doesn't mind not being number one go-to player every single time the team goes down the floor. Fast forward six months and all of a sudden, Guess who's the number one go-to player on this team? It's Lou Lopez Seneschal. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think she still has more options than Fairfield, to be fair. But, yeah, I mean, she has to be the number one option for this team. I think we saw her do it, though, against Notre Dame. Like, it wasn't enough, necessarily, to dig them out of that hole. But she stepped up in the second half at Notre Dame. We've seen her do it in other games. She's been able to be a really big scoring option for this team. I mean, we haven't really talked about this yet, but, like, I think she probably has to, like, far and away be, like, the best transfer that they've had that's adapted this quickly. Like, I don't think we could, I could name a transfer that's adapted like this to this team. So, I guess it feels like she's in a good spot to take on that role, at least. Yeah, it's been seven games, I think, and she's already the best transfer in program history, which would probably... Would Avina be the other one? Oh, yeah. That would have to be the other one. I still think, though, I mean, I, obviously, big Avina fans on this podcast, yes. but just Lou's been so good and so consistent, too. <laughs> and when she announced her commitment way back in in the spring, I was not convinced that she was going to do anything for this team because the transfer from a low major Fairfield team to a high major UConn team, they tried that with Evelyn Adebayo and it didn't come close to working. They've tried it with a few other players and it hasn't really panned out. That was a big jump to make and it seems like she's just got gone right along it hasn't really been an issue she's been in double figures every single game she's hit 20 points three times 
in the three games that AZ FUD hasn't been the team's leading scorer, it's been Lou Lopez Seneschal. So she has been, Gino was really high on her from the day she stepped on campus, but I'd say she's been better than advertised. I don't think many people would have predicted that she would come over from Fairfield and basically just continue what she was doing at Fairfield without skipping a beat. And yes, it helps that Paige Beckers isn't out there. Her numbers wouldn't be 17 points a game if Paige was out there. And she would be thrilled if she was not scoring 17 points a game in those circumstances. If Caroline Ducharme had been 100% from the start, maybe they're not as high, but it works out because now they need her to be that leading scorer. And she already has experience with that both at Fairfield and now here at UConn. Yeah, exactly. And not just like the amount that she's been able to score, but she's been so efficient as well. I think... She fell off a little bit in that Notre Dame game, so I think she's like a couple percent off from it now, but she was at like a 50-40-90 type stat line. I think she's like 2% off of that now on the, the field goal percentage, but she's just been extremely efficient in getting to those high number of points as well. And she scores in so many different ways too. I think that's what's really impressive mm-hmm. about her is it's not just getting to the rim and it's not just shooting threes, but she has a really nice mid-range game. She's got that lost art kind of game going that you don't see a lot of players have she's just so smooth I think Gino said something along the lines that there's no wasted motions with her and that just feels like a really good description of the way she plays so I even before the season started you kind of got the feeling of like man where would this team be without Lou Lopez Seneschal and you look at where they are now it's terrifying to think about where they would be without Lou yeah. Lopez Seneschal. Yeah, for sure. I think you kind of do that. She would have to, I think, for this team to be really good, play a bigger role than maybe we thought she would to start. And obviously she's done that, and that's been a part of this team's success to start up. But it's even more important now in this situation. Down Paige, down AZ. Caroline, I don't know if Caroline's still at 100% yet down Dorka like they just that's been one punch after another but having her on the team is making a big difference for this team being able to I think endure those and still be a decent team with all those pieces out yeah and what you said is a really good transition to the other player that I was going to talk about that is now going to be in a really key role without AZ FUD it's Caroline Ducharme and it is a little concerning that she I don't know if she's not at a hundred percent or if she's not at her conditioning level, but she just doesn't look right out there in one way or another. She had a really good game against Iowa. I, I didn't see the Providence game, so you could probably speak to how she played in that one a little more, but she just still didn't really look like herself against Notre Dame. And it's just, you know, it's concerning that we're this far into the season. She missed time early in the season with a very strange, vague, yeah, (laughs) neck stiffness. Um, Also, I don't mean this to come off as a shot at Caroline. I actually find it really funny in a good way. But I remember last year, Caroline obviously had the head injury, and someone asked her, so, like, what's the injury that you're dealing with? And she's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, um, it's just not feeling right. Like, like just an incredible sidestep of the answer, like <laughs> didn't come anywhere close to answering it. So then 
ahead of the Providence game, someone asked her, like, oh, is it neck stiffness? Like, was it an incident that, like, caused it? Was it something that lingered throughout the summer? Was it tied to the head injury? And I think she did say that, no, it started after I got back from the hip hip surgery recovery. And then just completely dodged it the rest of the way. So I do appreciate she's really, really good at dodging those questions. And again, that is not a knock on her. I I actually find it really funny and I have to appreciate it because how can you not? But uh, to the original point, it is concerning that you have two guards that can really score the ball. I think as well as Nika's played the season, it's a lot to ask her to be a go-to scorer because that's just not her game I think maybe if she can contribute three or four baskets a game and especially if a couple of those are three pointers that really helps but you're still only talking about maybe 10 points a game and even that seems like a lot and then Inesh Betancourt she's not gonna be a solution to AZ FUD being out and that's no knock on her that's just not the type of player she is And I guess if you want to call Aubrey Griffin a guard, then yeah, she can chip in too. But she had a bad shooting night at Notre Dame. So there's not a ton of confidence that she's just going to be a like-for-like replacement in the backcourt for AZ Fudd and be able to knock down these shots from the outside. So you have two guards that can really score the ball. And one of them is still dealing with this mysterious injury that hasn't seemed, that she hasn't seemed to really get over in one way or another, whether it's health-wise, conditioning-wise, mentally, or just knocking the rust off from not playing all summer and then not playing for a lot of the preseason. It could just be that too, but one way or another, she's not all the way back, and UConn really needs her to be all the way back. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really important. I feel like she looked, like you said, really good in that Iowa game, and I I thought she also played very well. I mean, granted, it's Providence, but she, I still thought she looked good versus Providence. And Gino kind of after the Providence game said he was like happy with the minutes that they had been able to get her over the last two games and that things have been improving. So I don't know if like it was just bothering her more in the Notre Dame game or maybe it's just an off game. I, hopefully that's all it was, but it'll be interesting to see if she can kind of rebound from that. I think what's important really in addition to the fact that they just like they need another option at the guard is they need someone that's going to score on the perimeter with some form of consistency because I think one of the big things we saw against Notre Dame is that once AZ wasn't on the floor anymore Lou was really the only person they had to worry about Notre Dame had to worry about guarding on the perimeter and that allowed them to really pack things in inside which not only like affected kind of you know how much perimeter shooting UConn's getting now because AZ's not on the floor, but their spacing inside was way off, and they couldn't get things going at the rim. They couldn't drive in the lane because of the way Notre Dame's defense could really pack it in. And I think if UConn can't get like Caroline, or I mean even Nika, if you have to start guarding her there to start consistently hitting a few threes a game, they're gonna see a lot more of that defensively. Yeah. It- it was concerning how much they couldn't do anything on offense for a lot of that Notre Dame game. And Notre Dame was just sitting back and telling them, take wide open threes, take wide open jumpers. Good luck. Like props to you if you hit them and UConn couldn't hit them. And when it was just Lou Lopez Seneschal fighting that battle, and Nika Mule actually had 
a pretty good game in terms of scoring, but even Aaliyah Edwards had to find, go other places to find baskets. I mean, she hit a three, she was hitting jumpers. She was having to fade away from the basket. It's going to be a really, really long couple of weeks, few weeks, three weeks, six weeks, whatever it's going to be. If they're not hitting from the outside and they're not pulling defenses out because Notre Dame just handed every single team that UConn plays the playbook on how to defend this team without AZ FUD. And unless there's a coach with the ego, the size of Texas, then (laughs) I cannot imagine that they're not going to employ the exact same thing until UConn shows that they can potentially beat that. Yeah. I do think if they get Dorka back though, that helps because I think one, you have another large person in the paint that's going to help things get going inside. But also, too, I think we've seen that Dorka can show that range maybe a little bit more than Aaliyah can, and that can kind of pull the defenses out, especially if she you know, hits a long-range jumper, a three to start the game, you know, in the beginning of the game. That can help open up the defense a little bit as well. So I think hopefully you would think that the broken thumb should be better soon than they should be getting her back. So I think getting that back in the rotation could be a big help as well so just i have two points on dorka but i'll just start with a quick note that we saw in practice is we're there it was last thursday so we're recording this on tuesday dorka was actually practicing even with the broken thumb she was being very careful in how she handled the ball but she was right in there in live action drills so i think that was encouraging just because maybe well it's a thumb so it's not like she can't keep her conditioning up and whenever she is cleared at the very least she's gonna have a little bit of practice experience under her belt in order to knock that rust off quicker i don't think it's gonna be you know first day back she looks like she did against texas but i still think it's gonna be a little bit of a quicker development because She's getting that extra time with Dorka. I do think we're going to put a lot of focus on Caroline Ducharme and Lou Lopez Seneschal. You know, what's the backcourt going to do? And I do think those things are important. Obviously, Caroline needs to step up and they needed that before AZ even got hurt. But I really think we could see a shift to more of a front court heavy team now because Aaliyah Edwards continues to just play phenomenally. And if there was one bright spot in the loss to Notre Dame, it was the way that Aaliyah Edwards continued to perform at a really high level, at least on the offensive end. I mean, at a certain point, I think you can only ask so much of her defensively. We know she's not the tallest person on the planet. And when you're going against someone like Lauren Ebo, It's a lot to ask to have her try to defend her one-on-one. It's just a lot on one player. So if she can continue that level of play, we saw a really good start to the year from Dorka. And it's really hard to talk about just two games, but that's the only sample size we have. If we see the Dorka that we saw so far this year, and there's the consistency that she's been looking for, and it's a high level every single night, All of a sudden, UConn has two really, really good post players that they can turn to. And there's not only that factor, but you look at the entire upcoming schedule that UConn will play. 
in the six weeks and let's just go to the max six weeks. That would get AZ FUD back roughly against Georgetown or Seton Hall. There's one team in that entire stretch that has a legit, really good big, and that is Anissa Moro and DePaul. What did we always talk about with Olivia Nelson Adota? She dominated the smaller teams. If you got us two really good bigs and one in Aaliyah Edwards, who is proving that she can play against really good competition, and if Dorka Juhas can start doing the same thing, there's no reason that the front court can't dominate in this stretch without AZ Fudd and carry the team in the front court for the first time since I have no idea when. Maybe the Brianna Stewart era at some point, but those teams were just so dominant everywhere that it's a little hard to say that. I think the key to the next few weeks without AZ Fudd might actually lie in the front court, even though the back court's going to get a lot more attention. Yeah, exactly. I think you're right. Other than DePaul, there's just, there's no team on this list of teams that Fudd is likely going to be up for that has anything that resembles a, a dominant post presence. So I do think that especially once UConn gets Dorka back, the kind of path to winning as many of these games as possible is going to be using that inside presence a lot because they're going to have that advantage over virtually every opponent and even DePaul like we saw that game last year the second game not the one that was really close at DePaul but the home game where UConn went inside a lot and Dorka and Aaliyah really dominated in that game so I think even in that game like that could be the focus as well right and it kind of goes beyond those two as well, because I think Notre Dame was a perfect example that Aubrey Griffin is a much better inside out player than someone who starts on the perimeter and goes in. And if the bigs are dominating, that opens up a lot more opportunities for her to thrive. And then look, people have asked us to talk about Amari DeBerry. And I, I mean, we've, there's been a lot more to talk about. I got sick. Um, But Another positive from the Notre Dame game was, well, I don't know, I don't know maybe it depends on where you stand, but Amari DeBerry had the fourth most points in that game with <laughs> five, but she, she had a three. Look, maybe that's she the did. answer. <laughs> I, that did AZ so just like, <laughs> is it, oh, what's the, uh, I think there's a couple of different shows that kind of have the concept of like, you touch someone and like you touch someone's hand and like you give something to them or like you take something from them. Maybe AZ went to the sideline and like put her hand on Amari and was like, here, you have my shooting power while I'm out. That was, <laughs> that's the only explanation I have, but yeah. maybe Amari has started to figure things out and she played a decent amount and looked good against Providence too. Right. Yeah. I did actually think she looked good against Providence. Um, they were able to get the bounce a lot of minutes in that game. Obviously, they won it by, what, 50 points or 45 points, sorry. Um, but, I mean, that game was over in the first quarter. So right. they were able to get the bench a lot of minutes. And I thought Amari did really well with the minutes that she got. Um, she came in, I'm looking at the numbers now because I've forgotten them. But, yeah, she scored six points in that game as well, had seven rebounds all in 13 minutes like she like i mean it's providence but it's still all in all like a, a very solid performance in the time that she got so it's maybe she's turning a corner too and she becomes more of a factor 
and you've got a little more depth in terms of true post players, whereas I don't really feel Aubrey Griffin and next person I was going to talk about, Ayanna Patterson fit into that. And Patterson, look, fouls are really bad. Her personal foul percentage is 9.6%. That is really bad. But But it got a lot better in the last two games. She only had one foul in 20 minutes against Providence. And well, granted, they just didn't call fouls in the Notre Dame game. But I'm pretty sure she only had one in the Notre Dame games, too. Yeah, so she's making progress. And even after the first couple of games where she played like five minutes in each one because of foul trouble, the rebounding metrics were really, really high on her. So Ayanna Patterson is a really good rebounder. She has the best offensive rebound percentage on the team. She is seven points higher than the next closest person. Well, Amari DeBerry is a 12%, but she doesn't qualify. But she is seven points higher than both Aaliyah Edwards and Dorky Juhas, 16.7%. So you have another player who could help you down in the post and could be a bit of a force on the offensive boards. And even if you just have one of Dorka and Aaliyah out there, they're going to get more of the attention from the defense. So I really think this could be a bit of a front court renaissance that we see for UConn over the next few weeks. And I think that it's not the way they have to go because their guards are still going to have to contribute by knocking down shots to keep those teams from packing the paint. But I think this is going to be a team that the front court really starts to take over games and isn't just contributing to wins, but they're the driving force behind the team's strong play. If that's what happens when AZ FUD is out, that's a really, really good sign for UConn going forward. And if it doesn't happen when AZ's out, that's a really concerning sign for this team going forward. So the front court, that is where I'm looking with AZ out. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think it's the time, it's a chance for those players to step up. And then when you add AZ back in, if you have that kind of both pieces together, this team is going to be even better than they have been to start the season. We are at the point of the show that I have been waiting for. <laughs> if you think I am obnoxious to begin with, and you would be fully justified to think that, then you are not going to enjoy this segment. We are about to take the victory lap to end all victory laps. I'm going to be pounding my chest like I am King Kong on top of the Empire State Building. UConn women's basketball got a commitment from Ali Zabel, and if you are a listener of Chasing Perfection and have been for a while, you know exactly who I am talking about. She was the apple of my eye after the Nike Nationals in Chicago. I had no idea if UConn was even interested. I had no idea if they would even pursue her. I knew nothing about her as a kid, if she would be a good fit for UConn, if they were even looking for guards in 2024, but she was just fantastic. In the games, actually, I saw her play for like 20 minutes, and that's how impressive she was. And I have not shut up about her in the however many months since then. Then, all of a sudden, she shows up at first night along with the rest of UConn's 2023 commits. And then finally, she announces her commitment to UConn. This might be the peak of my professional career. I don't know if I can ever get higher than this, of just picking out 
the player that is going to define UConn women's basketball for four years from 2024 to 2028. She is spectacular. She is, for my money, the best scoring guard in the class of 2024. She's the number five player in the class, according to ESPN. She is a future superstar, a future All-American. I could not be more thrilled at this development. This is just a great, great day for the brand. (laughs) I don't even know what I'm supposed to add to that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... (laughs) This is just me taking a personal victory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But no, obviously a good pickup for... I mean, just another start to another good recruiting class, which this team just keeps generating, which is always a good sign. I was just sitting on the couch and I looked at my phone and I tweet notifications from UConn men's hockey and UConn women's hockey. But then there's just one from Ali Zabel. <laughs> and my life was never the same afterwards. <laughs> I mean, wow. <laughs> This is, again, I think this is just the pinnacle. I don't know how I can go up from here. <laughs> I I truly do not. Because at this point, I would be lying to myself. I would be lying to you, Megan. And I would be lying to the listeners if I ever was just on a player the way that I was on Ali's Evil from the start. I mean, look, she was already ranked pretty high when I saw her. So it's not like I was the first one to discover her. But for her to end up with UConn, with absolutely no UConn connections before this. I mean, they didn't come out until months after I saw her in Chicago. I think I think I spotted UConn's grad assistant watching one of her games. Like she was standing between courts and was like flipping back and forth. And I was just sitting down in between games, going through the rosters of each team. I just spotted her name. So I worked her way over, worked my way over to the court. She was playing on the other side. It was like back-to-back courts and Caden Samuels was on one side and Zabel was on the other one. So I was watching some Samuels and then I would pop over and watch Zabel for a little bit. Look, this is just someone who can score the ball. And yeah, everyone can score the ball who's good in AAU. But it's the way she does it. She's so smart. She has such a good basketball IQ. She has such a good feel for the court. She can really get wherever she wants to with or without the ball. And there was this one play that really, really sticks out to me where she started driving. The defense cut her off. And she didn't panic. She didn't try and throw up a bad shot. She didn't try and pass it out. She just stopped, pulled it back, dribbled back to the three-point line, pulled up and shot it, nailed it. Then there is a play in the second half because it was right in front of me. It was often inbounds. She posts up the player that's guarding her, gets it, spins, draws the foul, and puts it in anyways on a sort of post move. Look, there are players that are great all-around basketball players that can do a little bit of everything. There are some players that are great passers. There are some players that are really good offensive players. Some players that are really good defensive players. There are some players that are really athletic and you try and bring along the rest. Ali Zebel, Zabel, is an unbelievable scorer. And that is what she's going to do really, really well at UConn. I have not seen her play enough to be able to say, oh yeah, she's going to be really good with this. Oh, she's going to be really good with this. But she is going to put the ball in the basket, and she is going to do it a lot. 
And I cannot believe that we have to wait almost two full seasons for her to arrive on campus. <laughs> I I really have nothing to add. I think you've covered it. <laughs> okay, well, I, I'm just thrilled. I It's very frustrating that it's also going to be like a year until we can get a, an official quote from Gino on her. But yeah. <laughs> just... Mm. This is going to be, this class is already the best class in the country and they don't even have another player in it. And they might not even get another player in it. I mean, they probably will, but like the backcourt though, really good hands going forward. Cause I saw KK Arnold play at that same tournament and she's incredible as a point guard. She's strong. She's tough. She plays downhill. She's got really good passing ability. She gets to the rim really well. She's a willing defender. I think her defense itself might need a little bit of work. And then with Ashlyn Shade. I actually don't think we ever talked about the signees because I got sick right after they signed. And I don't think we ever oh, recorded yeah. a podcast about it. But one thing that I thought was really, really interesting that with Ashlyn Shade, the other guard, and I'm about to contradict myself with this, is that Gino refused to even put a position on her. He said she's just a basketball player. He's not a forward. She's not a a guard. She just plays basketball and that kind of pans out in the way that she's used at, or she was used at her former high school. She transferred to like a prep school or something for her senior year. But there was one game in the state tournament where her team had her play in the post and she had like a double, double despite only being, I think she's listed at five ten or five eleven, So it's not like she's a huge player. I think five eleven because she's the same size as Gabby Williams. I don't think she has the athleticism, but I, I still think she's more of a guard than a forward, but you got those two players. Caden Samuels is a big guard. Then, I mean, it's not like AZ Fudd and Caroline Ducharme are graduating anytime soon. And then Ali Zabel, backcourt's looking good. I mean, I could have just said Ali Zabel, and that would have been enough. But... <laughs> yeah. No, they've definitely got two really strong classes coming. So it's exciting to know that there's no drop off in the near future. It is funny. Carl Adamek of the Journal Inquirer had this note that KK Arnold will be UConn's first player from Wisconsin. It took them the next recruiting class to get number two in Ali Zabel. She is from Nina, Wisconsin, plays at Nina High School. I, I don't know anything about Wisconsin to be able to tell you what that means, but just a fun little fact. Definitely. That's kind of crazy, actually. <laughs> All right. Is that enough of my victory lap? I feel like I, I, I wore that one out pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you handled it. <laughs> I don't have anything else to add on the recruiting class at this point. So I think, yeah, I think we've worn it out. <laughs> All right. I just can't wait until she drops like 25 points and, her first month at UConn. And I mean, you think I'm not going to use clips from July talking about Ali Zabel uh, after I saw her in Chicago in this episode. Oh man, we're saving this one to use in 2024, November <laughs> when she drops 25 on some unsuspecting team. Oh man, it's going to be bad, but yeah, <laughs> let's move on. Something we can both talk about. Give people a break from me gloating as much as I do truly enjoy it and something we can all get behind. 
the AP poll. Back on its bullshit. Oh boy. <laughs> oh. So you know UConn... we could take another victory lap on being right about Iowa at least. <laughs> oh yeah, let's start there. All right. Before we get to anything else, Iowa is down just this past week, six spots to number 16. And uh, you could probably make an argument for them to be lower, but that at least feels like an appropriate spot for them. I think most of the teams from, we're going to talk about this in a little bit if we're tiering, but somewhere between 10 and 13 is the cutoff line. And everyone below that to 30 and 35 kind of feels the same. So they're just going to re-rank themselves throughout the season. And I think Iowa firmly deserves to be in that tier. They are absolutely not the number four team in the country. I think there's a very clear, at least top 10 of teams in the country. And Iowa is certainly not one of them, but as the leader of the Iowa hate group that we have developed, I would just like to hand the floor over to you to take your victory lap. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just like exactly like we expected a team that can't play defense is not going to be a top five or even a top 10 team. I don't really have that much more to say other than what I've been saying since, I don't know, whatever the summer people try to start advertising them as a top five team but i think we've seen pretty clearly and i think we'll see it again this week because they have to play iowa state and i don't think that's gonna go very well for iowa either in fairness they played all of their defense for the entire season in that first half against uconn yep <laughs> basically uh, like, i haven't really seen them play any defense since that is true <laughs> like if if also i'm pretty sure at state which like you can't beat by how many points like crushed them <laughs> yeah if you take a glass of water and like that's the amount of defense that a team's gonna have and you know most teams are maybe a swimming pool or even a bathtub you know Pick whatever scale of water that you want. I would say that Iowa is a cup of water and the water in there is their defense. And they drank that in the entire first half against UConn because they were actually pretty good defensively in that first half. And it was stunning. And that's why that game looked like it did because they played defense. Mm-hmm. And Kate Martin went six of six from three. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that helps too. But anyways, yeah. to the uh, UConn, version of this segment they dropped to number six three spots after losing to notre dame so ahead of them it's stanford stays number oh no i'm sorry south carolina stays number one stanford stays number two ohio state and indiana both move up one spot to three and four notre dame moves up ahead of uconn to five then virginia tech is seven nc state and north carolina there's a joke there. I don't know what it is. Are both <laughs> tied for number eight. And then Iowa State rounds out the top 10 at number 10. And this is just a great study in recency bias, isn't it? Yep, it is. Because you wouldn't know it from looking at this poll, but Notre Dame did lose a game last week. <laughs> Who would have thought? But yet somehow move into number five despite losing to a team that is generously i would say ranked at number 20 in the country in maryland who then went out and got curb stomped by nebraska yep exactly why they're generously rated at 20 (laughs) yeah so very clearly the pollsters decided that maryland's results were gonna even out and notre dame's weren't 
And if you're keeping Stanford at number two after losing to South Carolina, you're very clearly considering their full body of work. How many teams outside of UConn have the resume that UConn's had? Some of their wins don't look as good as they used to. At least NC State is still a top 10 win. Obviously, Iowa's not a top 10 win. Still a top 25 win. It's still a good win, though. Yeah. Yeah. Texas might not be a top 100 win by the time they stop falling. (laughs) But regardless, it's three top 10 wins at the time they were played on their schedule. Two of them were comfortable. The other one they needed to fight, but did it pretty comfortable. But still won by a healthy margin. It's not like it was a buzzer beater. And then you lose at Notre Dame without AZ FUD for three quarters. So, look, I don't know if UConn wins that game without AZ FUD, but it is almost certainly not the blowout that it was. It is a different looking game. UConn doesn't have as much trouble scoring as they do. AZ FUD, who has been significantly better in second halves this season than she's been in first halves. Think she doesn't go off and hit like three threes in a row and all of a sudden an 11 point game becomes a two point game and suddenly all the pressure's on Notre Dame and then you just need one stop and one basket and it's a tie game I mean you could argue in the face until you're blue or you can argue until you're blue in the face about how the rest of the game goes if AZ FUD's there but it goes differently and you should still be accounting for the fact that AZ FUD is not there yeah I agree even if you're not going to account for that, which I think I could be fine with, like, you still can't fully ignore the fact that this Notre Dame team lost to Maryland. I think that's what bothers me the most. And, uh, like, you have to look at the team's full body of work, and, like, that's part of Notre Dame's body of the work, and it's early, and there's some things that they're very inconsistent on, which is what caused them to lose that Maryland game and then go on to win the UConn game. And I don't think you can be like, just take that one game as of the UConn game and be like, this is the Notre Dame team. That's it. Like, that's the only data point we're going to use to rank Notre Dame and they're going to be ranked fifth because that's what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we've talked about it before, but the AP poll is what it is. And the yeah, entire exactly. purpose of the AP poll is to get people like us talking about it. However, it's also the measurement of where every single team is in the country. And there are teams in the country that will raise a banner if they finish the regular season at the top of it. So it's not like it's nothing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) To be fair. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 you go. I was going to say, to be fair, some of the other metrics favor UConn much more than the AP poll that are a little less subjective. So it's all good. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually exactly where I was going was there's definitely a difference. And I think the way that you you rank teams in a poll is inherently different than where you think teams are in terms of like where they stand in the country. Because I think the best example is the COVID year where there were plenty of people arguing during that regular season that Stanford was the best team, but they didn't necessarily have the best record or the best results to justify being the number one team in the poll, because that varies depending on how you do. But just because a team loses a game doesn't inherently change the fact that you think they might be the best team in the country. I think South Carolina is completely deserving as number one. There's no reason that they should be knocked out of number one. They're undefeated. They've beaten the number two team in the country and they're the defending national champions. That is perfectly fine. Stanford number two. 
I also don't really have a problem with that. This is where I think you can start to get a clearer sense of where UConn is, though. Her hoop stats has UConn as the number two team in the country, both in its overall rating, its offensive rating, and its defensive rating. I think with the way that Indiana's played this season and the fact that they beat up on a top 10 UNC team without their star player, Grace Berger, personally, I would have them number three. But then I think UConn's a pretty clear number four behind there. And I would even hear an argument for UConn deserving to be number three. And you could probably even make an argument for them being the second best team in the country. And with South Carolina, it's just a matter of UConn needs to prove they're better than South Carolina. And the only way that they can actually do that is by playing and beating South Carolina. So I think two right now is the cap until February 5th. But Ohio State... South Carolina loses, yes. (laughs) True, but then back to my point of... You could still be the best team in the country without having a perfect record. But, I mean, you can argue that South Carolina's flawed, too. But either way, I think those are very clear top four. And then Ohio State, I'm just not that convinced of because their two best wins are Tennessee, who is just in total freefall right now, and Louisville, who might be even worse. Something. Yeah, I agree with you on like that top tier, though. I think I would probably split it into two tiers. I think that right now, South Carolina and Sanford have an argument that puts them at like a, a step above the rest. And then I do think UConn and Indiana is that next group. And I think kind of hovering somewhere in between. And maybe UConn was prior to losing to Notre Dame, though, I think you do still have to adjust for, like, AZ not being in that game, but was hovering a little closer to Stanford. Maybe that loss puts them a little bit more in the middle of those two groups, but I think them and Indiana are kind of on the same pain right now in that they've got good wins. And they're also both down their star player. Fun. Not really. I hate <laughs> that, but... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think they're kind of a clear three and four in my book. And then I can see the argument for why people want to put Ohio State above them. I don't think I would necessarily have a problem with Ohio State being like the, if it was like you kind of at five and Ohio State's also above them, I I don't have a problem with that. My issue with Ohio State is one, you like you said, their, their wins aren't any good. And two, if anyone can figure out how to break a press, they have no defense once you break their press. They're, they're, they play absolutely no defense outside of their press. <laughs> they would be a horrible matchup for UConn right now, though. Yeah. That just press randomly would cause popped a lot into my of head. Issues. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that's not related to a lot anything. Of problems. Yeah. But <laughs> UConn has one ball handling guard right now, yeah. and <laughs> it's Nika Mule. So that would not go well. Um, I think. I I do still feel like Notre Dame's probably closer to what we saw against UConn than what we saw against Maryland, though. I agree. I think Notre Dame's right in that next group, like, with, I don't even know. I almost want to put them ahead of Ohio State. I'm just not, I haven't overall been impressed when I have watched Ohio State. Um, And yeah, I do think Notre Dame is close. I think they're a team that if they can kind of some of the things that they struggle to do against Maryland, like having Lauren Ebo have a strong post performance, they could not do that against Maryland. Um, getting out in transition, they didn't do that a lot against Maryland. If they can kind of consistently do those things, they are a team that you're talking about as a Final Four team this year. But they need to show that with some consistency first. 
I'm really curious. Have you seen much of Virginia Tech? Because they're eight and zero. They're number seven. They've got a superstar in Lore or not Lauren Kitley, Elizabeth Kitley. Then they've also got Ashley Awusu, the Maryland transfer. Yeah, Awusu's currently Awusu's currently out. Yeah, she's hurt, so that part sucks. Um, I like their point guard too, though Georgia Amore is good too. Um, they just haven't played anyone. They played Tennessee this weekend. They barely beat Tennessee. That's concerning in its own right, I think. I mean, that's without Ashley Awusu, though, so I, I think that's a huge part of what makes everyone so hot in this Virginia Tech team is that you have Kitley plus Awusu is like this big kind of one-two punch type situation. And without that, yeah, I think they're maybe not as good, but I'm interested once they start getting into ACC play, what we see from them and once Awusu is back as well, because I think that's a critical piece of it, but... The ACC is obviously we've got a lot of teams right in the seven, eight, nine range. That's that's a ACC team, so I think that's going to get interesting quickly. Yeah, the ACC's. I mean, it looked like it was going to be fun in the preseason, and even with Louisville just racing oh, Tennessee to the bottom, it's still a pretty impressive conference, and. Speaking of ACC teams, did you see the Indiana-UNC game? I did. I did watch that one. Okay, what on earth happened to UNC? I don't know. I I also couldn't figure it out. I was like, I kind of thought that Indiana was really going to struggle because they didn't have Grace Berger. And I was like, this is a tough game to not have Grace Berger for. I mean, credit to Indiana because they hit a lot of shots. They hit a lot of shots in that game, but... Uh, yeah just i don't like unc just like folded i don't understand what happened that hurts me as the <laughs> courtney banghart fan here actually have i told my courtney banghart story about why i'm such a big courtney banghart fan it's not that exciting but it, it'll tie in Possibly. i don't think i have right it I, was I, I remember i met her out at um nike nationals in chicago i just went up and started talking to her when she was at princeton she recruited a friend of mine who didn't end up going to princeton but um they it was largely because princeton didn't give out scholarships and like if banghart was anywhere else they probably would have picked banghart school but i like just went up to kind of like say that and like just introduce myself and i had new business cards so i was giving them out and she was just incredibly nice, spent like 10 minutes talking to me and we were just talking about stuff. Um, so extremely nice person, very good interaction with her. Um, she seems really fun. The connection is, I don't remember specifically if it was the game that Caden Samuel was on one side and Ali Zabel was on the other, but it was in between those two courts that I talked with her. So that's just where uh, it caught my memory was. It was between the two courts that those two players were playing on. So it's quite possible that UNC was recruiting Zabel as well. So anyways. <laughs> Go Courtney Banghart. UNC? Eh. Courtney Banghart? Absolutely. Yeah, she could the be thing... anywhere besides oh. like Syracuse and I would be down for her. Yeah, the thing that concerns me about UNC is not just that Indiana lost, because like we've already kind of established that Indiana is a really good team, but in their games out in Oregon, they played in the other Phil Knight tournament, the one that UConn wasn't in. They they won both of them, and like a win over Iowa State, definitely a really good win, 
But in both of them, they dug themselves into these big holes in the first half, and then, like, they did climb out of them in the second half. But seeing that with any kind of consistency is, I think, concerning. Because you're not always going to be able to dig yourself out of that hole. Like, in the Indiana game, they dug themselves into that hole and never got out of it. Um, And so I think seeing this team play a consistent 40 minutes of basketball is really important to it being kind of uh, really at that next level. Yeah, but I feel like that also might be good enough just to keep them in that bottom of the top 10 tier. Like, mm-hmm. that's going to yeah, be fine against everyone... most teams in the country. Yeah, everyone else sucks enough that it will be okay. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think UNC is really at the point where they're ready to take that step forward. I think that starts more with next year's class that comes in. Sierra Toomey, the number... She was number three when she committed to UNC. I I don't know where she stands now just because I don't keep track of other teams' recruits, even Courtney Banghart's recruits. I don't. (laughs) But I feel like getting that high-end star power, having one of the better players in the country, that's, I think, probably going to be the next step for them. Yeah, definitely. But I still think this team has a lot of potential. It's definitely a second weekend team, probably an Elite Eight team. And a team that if they figure out their consistency could probably sneak into a final four, especially with some yeah. good matchups. Agreed. Definitely. And there's I, obviously plenty of time to figure that out. I mean, this is one of those years where I wouldn't be surprised if it was all the one seeds that get to the final four, or if it was like, I mean, 2016 is the example that I always go to because it's the only one that really applies. But if it's, UConn, and again, I will never say that UConn's not going to make a Final Four until they don't. But if if it's UConn and like UNC, UCLA, I'll throw that one for you, and like <laughs> Creighton or Gonzaga, someone like really comes out of nowhere to get to the Final Four. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's just like a smattering of three other teams that haven't been to a Final Four before or haven't been in a long, long time or have new staffs in place something like that give me creighton in the final four honestly i would love that and ucla that sounds like a wonderful final four (laughs) i'll have the time of my life (laughs) i mean who would be your fourth team to just complete the perfect final four i feel like south carolina because like you don't want a final four without Aaliyah boston it's like in her last year i don't know (laughs) i know it doesn't really fit the picture that we're talking about where it's just uconn and then a bunch of random teams but like I, I, I want Leah Boston in the final four. Okay, that's fair. I or send think... Villanova with Maddie Segrist and just go full big east. <laughs> God, imagine the uh the meltdowns people would have if the Big East sent three teams to the final four and one of the ACC or SEC didn't send a single one. Oh my god, it would be hilarious. Twitter would cease to exist, actually. <laughs> actually, you know what would actually be the perfect would be if it was either Stanford or Indiana or like a Big 12, Pac-12, Big 10 team, because then neither the ACC or SEC would get yeah. anyone in. <laughs> That'd be funny. <laughs> so that is, it's remarkable how far away the Final Four is, though, and how much is going to happen between now and then. Yes. We're going to learn about this UConn team. So quite a stretch coming up. Yes. <laughs> On that note, that'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. UConn has a pair of games 
pretty good games coming up this week. They have Carla Baruby and Princeton come on Thursday to Gamble Pavilion. And then on Sunday, they travel down to Maryland for their third straight Sunday game on ABC. So we will have plenty to talk about. Until then, thanks for listening.